and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is an attorney and family games night officiado, turned entrepreneur, founder, digital marketing expert, coach and CEO. He trains sellers to accelerate pipeline with meaningful virtual conversations using social media. He focuses his on helping professionals overcome barriers to successful virtual selling, as well as helping entrepreneurs with more than 50 marketing and sales professionals to manage global sales transformation at scale. Please welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Lenwood Ross. Hello. 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 <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you inviting me to be here. Well, first of all, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, we're all kind of living through a pandemic and hopefully we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. How have you adapted your business to support your clients in this period? Oh, OK, great. Thank you. That's um that's a that's a great question. So um, our focus um, is really on business transformation. Um, and so specifically, we focus on mission critical uh, behavior change rather than just knowledge. So we're we're we want to get uh, change people's behavior, uh, not just change what they think. Um, and and to that end, we um, even before the before the pandemic, we saw the trend towards um, everything virtual. And so we were really preparing for that. So the, um, the pandemic really accelerated the things that we were doing, right? And we were focused really uh, on two areas in particular. One was um, sell, uh, uh, social selling, but not just, um, you know, how do you train one person, but how do you get a, a whole organization going in a, in a different direction um, in terms of their sales activity? Um, and um, obviously that turned out to be prescient with the, um, the pandemic, everything going virtual overnight. So, you know, every, everyone found themselves um, being forced to be more social. And uh, the second aspect, uh, second thing that we were focused on was virtual training, right? We saw a real trend in virtual training and we decided to focus, um, I guess you would maybe call it the higher end of the market um, on this experiential learning, um, which um, we're now seeing in some of the, the major management consulting firms and um, research advisories, talking about both of those trends a lot. Excellent. So um, 
you I just want to understand how you do your your virtual training so you know in a virtual world you're already on virtual but actually like you're you've upped a gear on the virtual training of how to enable companies to be more socially relevant and access their customers is that right yeah that's absolutely right so so when you think of most people when they think about virtual they're really thinking about e-learning Okay, and that's just where you might watch a video, or you're you're um, you know going on to a Teachable or, or some platform like that, and you're you're getting new information, right? And you take that new information and you go off and do something with it. What we're doing is um, a little bit more involved in that. It's a lot more involved, actually. It's mixed media, hybrid training. So there's live portions, there's video, there's um, mission, um, they call them missions, but they're activities where as as you're learning, or I should say, as you're doing your job, you're learning something new that's applied in the job. So it's applied learning, but it's in an environment where you're collaborating with your colleagues. And it's through that collaboration and exchange of ideas um, while you're you're learning and doing that really um, accelerates the change, right? Because you know, a lot of times if you're doing e-learning, you don't necessarily have to change your behavior. You're just learning something new. Here, especially with virtual training, there really is, I, I should say with virtual selling, there really is changed behavior. Sellers need to do different things in order to be successful um, at virtual selling. So that's that's the big difference with the, the uh, training that we use. Um- I, um, when we were allowed to do uh, uh, speaking, you know, I, you can imagine you're out and you've got a hundred or thousand people in front of you and you're speaking, but really the next week, how much of what you say will they remember? You may get a standing ovation, but how much, if you don't even remember 10%, you're not even going to do 10%. <laughs> problem. Even with online um, learning or even face-to-face learning, how much you remember the next day, the next week is, you know, like it's diminishing returns. And yeah. so I really like that you get people to do activities in yeah. order to embed that learning and make it so that they're in the job so yeah. that they can apply what they're doing in, in the job, the more likely that that is going to change behavior. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you hit the nail on the head. What we see um, as a trend in general is more experiential learning, experiential training. We know that um, people like to have um, experiences right? And those experiences help them to understand what it is that um, we are specifically asking them to do in context. So it's very different if I tell you something, well, if I tell you something one day and you're just sitting in an auditorium or you're watching it online and you don't have to do anything with it, you're right, it's gone <laughs> by the next day or by the end of <laughs> by the end of the e-learning or by the end of the module, right? You've you've lost it. So we really see um 
a, you know, in the, in the near future, a blending of um, people who, like yourself, develop content, you have a system or something like that, and you have a mix of the event, which is, which is virtual. There may be some people that are live, you know, when we're out of this pandemic thing. Um, there may be some people who are live, but you can reach many more thousands, tens of thousands of people virtually. And, um, and they're, you know, experiencing your live talk. And then they go through a, a series over a period of days where they're applying, they're getting more knowledge, more in-depth knowledge than you went over in your talk. And they begin to apply what you said in their work. And um, doing that over an extended period of time increases um, the change and the knowledge retention significantly. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, before our kind of virtual uh, lockdown, all of my, the work that I did with, with companies, so, you know, it might start off with a, a speech presentation or a workshop or something like that, but I will not book it unless they agree to doing ongoing development, because actually the results come from the ongoing development. You're absolutely yes. right. Picking up on what you said is that after the main event, you will revisit some of the learning and help to embed that. So you're asking them questions so you know what bits they got and what bits they didn't get yeah. and make the connections for them and ask them questions about what's happening in their real world. And then that's when the light bulb switches on. It's like, yeah, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I could do that. And then to have a group discussion. So there's a sharing of knowledge. And as you go down, so it'll be three months, six months, one year, six to one year, people will share more of their knowledge of how they applied it, which encourages the people that are not applying it to apply yeah. it. I love the results. I got a company in less than nine months to grow by six million in excess of their, their kind of five million budget in one year. And that was from that ongoing learning and applying. So you doing this online, replicating that in a shorter space of time, that's where the real learning and results happen, not with the initial engagement. Of course, you need to have that initial learning, yeah. give them the framework, but yeah. that's not where the results are. So I love this program. Yeah, that's, a, that's absolutely right. And it's so interesting because... Um, as I was developing um, my business model and how I was going to go about doing this, um, I, I really got to thinking about what do people really care about? Um, and it was really as I was developing as um, a business leader and a seller uh, specifically is, you know, what you know, in, you know, the different uh, training, you know, whether it's Miller Hyman or any one of these things, you know, they talk about the benefits, right? And that's what the C-level cares about is the benefits. But really all that any of us care about um, is the outcome. And we go through these processes to get um, to the outcome. And what I started doing was really studying why um, digital companies were getting really outstanding outcomes. I'm talking about beyond the fact that whatever what they sell, they can sell virtually limitless because of the digital modality. But um, I really wanted to understand why they were getting such better outcomes to legacy businesses. And what I discovered is that, um, and this actually it 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 
kind of ties into the earlier question that you were asking me about digital, well, the pandemic, right? So the pandemic uh, really accelerated digital transformation. And when you, you could talk to different people will tell you in two years, seven years, 10 years, you hear lots of different quotes about how much um, digital transformation accelerated. And what I discovered is that, um, 70% of digital transformations were failing. I said, well, why are they failing? And it, it turned out that there are really two sides of the digital transformation coin. There's the technology side and there's the people side. And the companies that were failing were only focused on the technology side. So implementing new technologies, marketing automation, uh, sales automation, you know, all these different technologies, they only focused on that. And they didn't focus on the people side, that side we call digital maturity. And so I, I looked for a company that was having outstanding results, that was a legacy company that was in a digital transformation. And there is one company that stands out. It's not, it's not a digitally native company, but it stands out um, as having made a really huge trans, uh, transformation. That company is Microsoft. Obviously, Microsoft has been around for 30 years, right? And it's not a digitally native company like, say, an Amazon. So that means that it had legacy, uh, it had a legacy um, way that they delivered their software, right? We used to get the disks or um, stuff like that for, for your Microsoft Word or for the large enterprise systems, they had to be uh, put on servers in-house. In what were they doing that was different from other legacy companies? And what I discovered is that they were very focused on changing their culture. And the way they changed their culture was through this experiential learning. So there was a lot of research that I did um, before deciding, okay, well, how do, I, how do I build a business model that helps organizations to solve this second half of the digital transformation puzzle, which is the digital maturity part. How do we change our people so that our people are better able to adapt to change? And I think what came out of the pandemic, in addition to seeing that, you know, a lot of companies didn't have the infrastructure to support being totally digital, they realized, hey, we've got to address our people. Um, and, and not just specific skills, um, like, for example, social selling, that's a specific skill, new activities, but also some of the softer skills um, that people need to be able to, um, to, be, to be more resilient in a, in a world that changes very rapidly uh, with a lot of uncertainty and very high competition, uh, very different than of the world, you know, even 10 years ago, yeah. right? I agree with that. So, you know, what practical strategies would you offer to enable buyers to buy or to build long-term relationships? And I'm really speaking to the kind of social selling that just, that does exactly that. So, you know, how could you package up the, a kind of practical strategy? Right. Well, um, I would say 
first you have to recognize um, this is that, and there's a lot of people that use social media for, um, and, and, and do what they think is social selling, right? And so what they'll do is they'll uh, send, uh, they'll use automation to send hundreds of LinkedIn requests because they think, oh my, you know, I, my market is huge. I've got the world. I can, I can reach out to anyone in the world. Uh, you know, I got 10,000, 100,000 people <laughs> that I'll never get through all of them. So I'll just run this automation software and I'll send out offers. And um, that is actually not the way to do it, right? Because all you're doing is you're bringing the same interruption tactics that you use with your email campaign and you're bringing that to social media and social media really doesn't work that way, not, not effectively. Um, so when you look at the, the success rate, the open response rate on email marketing, um, that's 2.1%, that's HubSpot's um, number uh, that they, that they um, recorded during the, uh, during the pandemic, right? So a 2.1% open response rate is pretty, uh, is pretty bad. So what people do is they go to social media and they say, well, I, now I'm getting five <laughs> out, of, out of, you know, five out of a hundred instead of two out of a hundred. So I'm doing, I'm doing twice as good. This is awesome. I love it. Except <laughs> that 80% of the people, 90% of the people that you're you're reaching out to are not connecting with you. Or even if it's 70% of the people are not connecting with you. That's a big problem on social media, okay? Your um, connection acceptance rate on a platform like LinkedIn should really be over 50%. That's how you know that um, people are responding to the impression that you're putting out on social media, right? So we all um, have a social presence, okay? Just like in real life, uh, when you go to a, I shouldn't say in real life, social is real life, okay? Let, let me, let me, no, no, no. <laughs> let me fix that. In, <laughs> what I should say, <laughs> virtually, virtually. So in person versus virtually, you know, if we were going to a conference, we would want to make a good impression, right, on people. And the same is true on social media. You want to make a good impression. And so there are ways that you can craft your profile so that you're making a good first impression. And with that, that profile being crafted in a certain way is going to create the foundation for connecting to people and having people respond positively to that connection. I mean, I've just thought of uh, something and uh, you actually, a lot of people get peed off on, you know, social media. And it's interesting what you say about creating the right first impression. And, and I was just thinking, what is the difference when you're emailing some, you know, blasting out emails, it's almost invisible. It doesn't have your little picture there. So, you know, people can decide not even to open the email at all so that you can blast people and you're not going to get many, you know, 1% open rate. But the other 
almost didn't see it. They deleted right. it. They whatever, right? It's disconnected from who. It's disconnected it's from completely you. Completely disconnected. But actually, when you're send blasting people on LinkedIn, they can see you. They can judge you, <laughs> yeah. and they can un you know follow you, which is what I do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do not connect and sell to me because you only get an unfollow. <laughs> I will not recommend you all of these things kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the difference. It is your reputation. So that that 70% or 80% of people that are not connecting with you have actually judged you. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they know you. who you are. They know your name. They know your face. I mean, it's just, it'd be just the same as if you went to a conference and you were just a total jerk. To everybody at the conference, you're walking around with your name tag. Everybody can see you. They know your face. And they're going to remember. Do you remember that guy? Whatever. He got so drunk at the co- at the cocktail party. And, you know what? <laughs> you know, do you remember yeah, that guy? You know, oh, man. He's terrible at conversation. Oh, I got it. They see you come in there. Go the yeah, other way. All he's gonna do, right. All he's going to do is talk about work or whatever. Right. They will avoid you. Right. Yeah. So. So we we have the good sense to know not to do that when we're at a conference, right? Um, and it doesn't mean you have to be overly professional, right? Just like at a conference, there are times when we're focused on uh, presentation or we're focused on things and, and we're kind of more business-like. And then there are other times where we're being social, the cocktail hour, the networking event. And at those events, if you're meeting people and you're only talking about work or you go up to that target that you all, that economic buyer, right? The one that you've been hoping to see. And the first thing out of your mouth is, oh, my solution can do X, Y, and Z. Um, you're not going to get very far with them, right? So we use that, we use that cocktail hour to show a little bit more about who we are, to connect and build rapport. And you really need to do those very same things on social media, right? We have to, we have to build rapport. We have to um, build relationships. Um, but the power of social media, it, the technology of social media allows us to really create um, we can manage a much larger network, first of all, uh, of people, right? So um, if you had a little black book or, you know, uh, that you would um, keep the names of all the people that you that you want uh, were in your network, you know, you, you might be able to keep 250 or so names in there that we could really be on top of. But on LinkedIn, you can have um, the cutoff is really is 30,000 people, but you want to be strategic about who's in your network and what they bring to your network. There's people in there that are that are going to be um, your champions. There are people who are going to recommend you. There are your, your personal contacts who are going to support you almost under any circumstance. So we need to think more strategically about what we're doing on social media and also learn the things that really, um, a, a, a methodology, right, to turn our activities on social media into sales, which we all want, right? This is scale your sales. <laughs> okay, we are running out of time, so I'm going to okay, ask you bad. a quick question. Sure. Um, 
because I really want to kind of cover this with you. And I know that you're going to have some real insight around that. You know, your view on, on diversity in the B2B kind of selling industry. And I know that you've worked a lot in the kind of professional industry, you know, coming from the kind of legal um, background and everything. So but what's your view in how things have progressed? Well, I would say that in professional services specifically, um, we're now seeing more um, diverse leaders in senior leadership roles. And so um, when you see uh, more diverse people who are making the decisions, then that means on the other side of the table, you're going to want to have more diverse people to be able to create conversations with them. And I think we're actually entering I'm hopeful. How about that? I'll say this. I'm hopeful that we're entering really a golden era for diversity because, again, what does social media do? Social media makes our networks transparent. It really makes it possible for you. You're not going to just see my name when I reach out to you. You're going to see my face and you're going to learn some things about me. And so with the heightened um, awareness and I think consciousness about diversity issues, you see people um, really being much more active in terms of their efforts to um, support diverse leaders um, and diverse, um, and, and by the same token, diverse sellers. So I think on the on the selling side, you, you know, if you're in B2B and you have products to sell, you you would want to increase the diversity in your sales team for sure because there are many more diverse leaders not only are there many more diverse leaders but even the non-diverse leaders are looking for relationships with um diverse diverse people just anecdotally i'll tell you that um you know i have a strategic partner that i'm looking at and um obviously i use social media strategically and over the weekend i was able to connect with the president of the group that is most important to me and he offered to help me within five minutes yeah. So just knowing what to do is possible to connect to the highest levels. I mean, this is a Fortune 500 huge company. Um, and I was able to get to the very top of the organization in five minutes on social media. But it also goes back to what you were saying before. That person would not have connected with you had you not had a good social footprint. They would have looked you up. They would have seen what you're posting. Are you credible? Do you look good? All of that, you know? Yes. So that's why it's really important and it allows you to get access. That's why I that's why I targeted, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, but even with social media, you know, I think almost 60% of sellers say their number one issue is access. And that to me is crazy because social media gives you such access to people that you would, I mean, if, for example, the person that I just told you about, I mean, how would I, there's almost no way I could have gotten to him on the phone or in email. I would have had to wait to an event when there were like, you know, maybe 20, 30 other people trying to reach him. You know, that's not a great circumstance, but 
um, on social media, he could see my face, right? He can look at my background. He can look at the, 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 the impression that I have created, right? When I take control of my social media, then I can frame the way that um, people perceive me, right? So I can help to make that good first impression. It's like having a nice suit for this special event where you're gonna meet people, right? It's mm -hmm. the same, same concept. Um, so access really should not be a problem in the age of social media. I love that. I love the way that you brought that back, back round again. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> my pleasure. Okay. My pleasure. Let me ask you, if you're on a desert island on your own, what's the one thing you take with you? I mean, to me, it's easy. I take my iPhone. I have locate me on the iPhone and they find me. I'm on the desert island for, you know, 24 hours at the most. Once people realize he's missing, find his iPhone. And then I'm off the desert island. So that's, that's, that's an easy one. You're not going to relish being on the desert island, having a bit of peace, getting off social media. You're not relishing any of that. It's like, get me off here as quickly as possible. Well, how about this? I relax on the desert island. I try and find some fruits and things to eat while I'm there. I kind of soak it all in and then I turn my phone on. So come get me. <laughs> all right. So since you want to be located, how can we get hold of you, Lenwood? Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, so obviously on LinkedIn and Twitter, you can find me. I'm more on LinkedIn than I am on Twitter, but uh, feel free to connect with me on both of those. Linwood M. Ross on LinkedIn and Linwood Ross on Linwood underscore Ross on Twitter. You can also uh, go to our website, acelery.com, uh, and you can connect with me there. You can read articles that I've written. I've also got a bunch of articles on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I would love to for people to connect with me on LinkedIn, right? So we can have a conversation and build a relationship. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. I'll put all of those links in, in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure and lots of fun. So thank you for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Linwood. Thank you so much for having me, Janice. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.